With the summer quickly coming to a close, a lot of folks are looking to squeeze in at least one more trip to the beach. New York City is home to some pretty nice beach destinations. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, we're taking in the sand, surf, history, and culture of Brighton Beach in Brooklyn. If you're unfamiliar with Brighton Beach, chances are you know its neighbor, Coney Island. But like Coney, Brighton Beach also has distinct character all its own, and is often referred to as Little Russia for its large population of Russian immigrants. I recently took a walk around Brighton Beach with a guy who has a rich knowledge of the neighborhood. My name is Ron Schweiger. Um, I'm the official historian for the borough of Brooklyn, uh, which is not unique just to Brooklyn. Each of the five boroughs is appointed a historian uh, by law by the borough president of each borough. And I've been in this position since 2002 when borough president Marty Markowitz uh, appointed me and Eric Adams, the current borough president, is keeping me on in that position. So here we are in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, and this is really a magical place, isn't it? It is. Uh, For one thing, my wife grew up actually a block and a half from where we're standing, on Brighton 8th Street. Near the elevated train, which is rumbling by right now. And I guess you folks can hear the train. This is the uh, B and the Q train, uh, officially known as the Brighton Line. It makes a sharp right turn or a left turn, depending upon which direction you're going, and the wheels squeak and makes a rumbling sound, and and that's commonplace. I mean, people are used to it who live, live over here. When did the L get erected here in Brighton, would you say? Um, the tracks were elevated between 1903 and 1909, and originally the tracks ran on the street. And the original tracks were, called, were put down in 1878 by the Brooklyn, Flappish, and Coney Island Railroad. I have a stock certificate from that railroad at home, dated September 1881, signed by Henry Cruz Murphy, the president of the railroad, who at one time was mayor of the city of Brooklyn in 1842 and 1843. What's really quite interesting is that it is so loud here, but yet just down the street is the solace of the beach. Absolutely. We're a block away from the boardwalk, the beach, and the Atlantic Ocean. And and we're going to end up walking in that direction. And uh, I'll give you some of the history of the area um, and uh, what used to be here and what's here now. So what was here first? What was Brighton like way back when? Well, Brighton gets its name from Brighton, England. Um, and, and Brighton, England was on the South Shore, and it was part of a, a, an area known as Gravesend or Gravesend, England, which was a beach resort in England. And uh, uh, a lady named Lady Deborah Moody came here in the 1640s. And uh, being English, she was granted permission by the Dutch that controlled the area to establish an English town. And she called it Gravesend, after where she came from in in England. Well, uh, Brighton Beach, Coney Island, Sheepshead Bay, Manhattan Beach, this is all part of the the English town of Gravesend, which was settled in the 1640s, 1650s. So was this settled as a beach resort, a beach community? No, it wasn't a beach community initially. That didn't happen until... uh, well into the 1800s when uh, the railroads were already in place and people needed a place to go to relax during the summer to get the cool breezes from the Atlantic Ocean. But initially, uh, as a resort, and uh, I'll show you pictures of it, although you can't see it on the radio, there were three horse racing tracks here in Brooklyn. You had the Brighton Beach track, which ended right across the street from where we're standing now. 
you had the Sheepshead Bay racetrack, and you had the Gravesend racetrack, which was further north up Ocean Parkway. Thoroughbred racing here in Brooklyn. This was thoroughbred racing. And when racing disappeared after 1910, because in 1910, Governor Hughes of New York State prohibited betting. He was anti-gambling. So after 1910, you couldn't bet on the ponies anymore. And slowly and surely, the wealthy stopped coming. But you see, by 1910, there was a new fangdale contraption called the automobile. So the Brighton Beach track and the Sheepshead Bay track went over to automobile racing. And you know who raced in a car called the Frontenac? No, who? In 1911, Mr. Louis Chevrolet. Really? Really. And I don't know if he won the race, but he went on to do bigger and better things. So how long did car racing go on here in this area? Uh, the car racing lasted until, um, oh, I would say the late 19-teens to, let's say 1918, 1919, uh, maybe 1920. And the Sheepshead Bay track went over, when it went over to automobile racing, it was um, called the Harkness Sheepshead Bay Speedway because Mr. Harry Harkness bought the property of the, race, the horse racing track, turned it into a, the Sheepshead Bay Speedway. In fact, those people who are in Brooklyn that go to the United Artists Theaters in Sheepshead Bay right off the Belt Parkway, when you turn off of Knapp Street, you turn onto a street called Harkness Street to go into the parking lot of the movie theater. So that's where the name comes from, Mr. Harkness. So are there any remnants of these tracks here? There's no remnants of the tracks. Um, uh, probably not. Although someone, uh, once digging in their basement, found a railroad tie from one of the original street, line, uh, street railroads that used to be here. So today, Brighton Beach is known for its large Russian population. When did that start to happen here in Brighton? Well, today, you can visit Russia without a passport, right here in Brooklyn. Come to Brighton Beach, as well as other areas of Brooklyn that are, have become popular uh, with Russian residents. My wife's grandmother, who came from Russia, she was here in the 1940s, and she lived on Brighton 6th Street. Because when I was dating my wife, we used to visit Grandma's apartment on Brighton 6th. My wife was on Brighton 8th. But the way Brighton Beach is today occurred right after, during and after 1991, the collapse of the Soviet Union. And that allowed a lot of the Russian immigrants to come. Many of them settled here um, in the Brighton Beach area, which, by the way, saved Brighton Beach. How so? In the 1970s and 1980s, um, in the 70s, there was a major recession. And that went into the 1980s. Um, real estate uh, um, the banks were re redlining many areas. Mortgage percentages were very high. So a lot of the Russians came here, and they started to open up businesses along Brighton Beach Avenue, where the tracks are now go over Bright the subway tracks go over Brighton Beach Avenue, and Russian appetizing stores, restaurants, nightclubs. In fact, near the end of our walk today, we're going to pass the National, one of the, I think, the first nightclub that opened here in Brighton Beach. Many of the stores have signs in Russian language. You walk the streets here, you hear Russian being spoken pretty much everywhere. Um, when I was teaching, I, I taught at public school 219 in East Flappish for 31 years. Many people say, as a history teacher, I said, no, I was a science teacher. Fifth grade teacher for two or three years and then science teacher for the rest of my teaching career. I retired from the Board of Ed in, um, I always will call it the Board of Education, um, not the Department of Education. Um, I taught in that school from 1970 to 2001. I retired in 01. Um, and from 01 to 09, I taught science at the yeshiva of Flatbush. 
So 39 years teaching. And uh, I loved every minute of it, most of the time. Um, but I'm retired, and now I'm busy as the borough historian, uh, uh, available to the media, like yourself, for interviews. Uh, I do walking tours of some of Brooklyn's historic neighborhoods, including Brighton Beach, which you're going to get for free today. Um, and, um, and by the way, Brighton Beach is right next to Coney Island. At the turn of the century, not this century, I'm talking about 1900, Brooklyn had the biggest and most popular resort in the United States. Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, Sheepshead Bay, and Coney Island. As I mentioned earlier, you had three horse racing tracks. There was a vaudeville theater. There were restaurants. Coney Island had three major amusement parks. Dreamland, Luna Park, and Steeplechase Park. Steeplechase Park is the one I remember. Um, and you had the beach. And you had the transportation. You had bus lines that brought you here. You had several subway lines that brought you here. This was a mega resort area at the turn of the century. Speaking of the beach, shall we walk towards the beach? Absolutely. Let's go. Now, here in Brighton, you have a mix of apartment buildings and a mix of residential homes as well. The apartment houses, and uh, maybe we can walk on one of the side streets, many of them are Art Deco. They were built in the 1930s, some in the 20s, but most 1930s and 1940s. They are Art Deco architecture, which is really quite interesting. Um, they're all elevated buildings. Most are six stories high. And um, again, for the people that live in these buildings, you have the beach, you have the shopping on Brighton Beach Avenue, you have the transportation nearby. I mean, it's a great area uh, to grow up in, as my wife did. Okay, so Ron, we are stopping about a half a block from the beach. Yes, and where we're standing right now where these buildings are used to be Brighton Beach Baths. The baths opened in 1907 and closed at the end of the 1997 season. 90 years. Really? They closed in 1997? Wow. It's and not too long ago. No, it's not too long. Well, that's 20 years. 20 years ago. Here's a 1908 pic- 1912 picture of Brighton Baths. Wow. Five wow. years after it opened. Now it's been replaced by what looks like a luxury rental building. These are luxury, expensive. Uh, it's a very large complex. and It has um, indoor gym facilities, private parking facilities, um, access to the beach. And uh, these are expensive apartments here. It was built on the site of Brighton Beach Baths, where I used to go as a kid. And this picture is of Brighton Baths in 1912, and I have more. Uh, What's this block specifically that we're on? This is Coney Island Avenue. This is at, at Coney Island Avenue ends right at the boardwalk. Now, I mentioned before that this was a big resort area. There were four major hotels and scores of smaller ones. And one of the major hotels was across the street over here. And in a minute, when we get over there, I'll show you some pictures and what it looked like. It was magnificent. And right here, where Coney Island Avenue ends, right here, um, there was a concession stand called Sadaka's. Neil Sadaka. Neil Sadaka, the singer. His parents had a concession stand right here where Coney Island Avenue ends, right here. All right? And Neil Sadaka, from Brighton Beach... He went to Abraham Lincoln High School, my alma mater, my wife's alma mater, although we didn't know each other. I was two years ahead of her in school. Um, 
And uh, this is where the Sadaka family had a concession stand. Right wow. Over Who knew? That's now, fantastic. Now, now know. I know. Okay. Now, when we get onto the boardwalk, uh, which we'll be on in about 10 seconds, um, we'll get a glimpse, of, a, a glimpse of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. Now, here is the boardwalk, this magnificent structure, which was not... I don't think I brought that picture with me. The original boardwalk was one-third the width that it is now. In fact, I think one of the pictures I'm going to show you, I think, might show that. In the 1920s, um, the borough president of Brooklyn, Mr. Edward Regelman, um, he got money allocated to not only build the boardwalk, but the Army Corps of Engineers dredged sand from the ocean and made the beach three times wider than it was. Okay? And... And today, that's the way it is. This boardwalk is uh, the original. I mean, it's been repaired many, many times, um, but it dates to the 1920s when it was widened the way it is now. And uh, and you can see the, behind us the complex of this magnificent uh, um, co-op. I, I believe these are co-op or uh, condos that replaced the uh, Brighton Beach Baths. Yeah, they are quite beautiful, and it is a quite and it is quite a large complex. And you can see the extent that it goes this way and all the way down to uh, Brighton Beach Avenue, where we just started from, and that was the property of Brighton Beach Baths. They had three swimming pools, a kiddie pool, ping pong. They had paddleball courts, basketball courts. They had a bandstand with live, a live band playing music and a place for people to dance. We're coming to... Uh, Brighton 2nd Street. Again, we're on the boardwalk. The boardwalk goes the entire length of Brighton Beach and Coney Island. And uh, there's a playground. We're going to stop in front of the playground. And uh, the cable channel, Showtime, several years ago, had a documentary called The Boys of 2nd Street Park. And it was all about the guys that played basketball here at the park. And uh, when I was teaching at the Yeshiva of Flatbush, the principal, um, Mr. Zeppelin, from what I understand, he was, he taught here in Brighton Beach. In fact, he was my wife's social studies teacher. <laughs> we didn't know that until uh, later on. Um, here's the playground, basketball courts down over there. And uh, Mr. Zeppelin, I believe, was the basketball coach for a lot of the kids that played here because they attended the schools here in, in Brighton Beach, PS 253, um, and uh, I think PS 225. And my wife went to both of those schools. And there's the basketball court where the boys played. And the, the Showtime program was about some of these boys, and now they're, of course, they're grown men, uh, well on in their years now, because the show is about them back in the 1950s and 60s. And... Uh, and here's Second Street Park in Brighton Beach. Now, as we walk along, we're going to come to the end of Brighton Beach on the boardwalk, and that's where Ocean Parkway is. And it's aptly named because it ends at the ocean, at the boardwalk and the beach. And Ocean Parkway, it had the first cycle path in the United States. The first? The very first... Uh, pathway strictly for bicycles and it ran from Prospect Park down to Coney Island. 
Um, we're now at the Ocean Parkway station of the Q train, and we'll wait for that, uh, that police car to go by. Um, now you can start seeing some Russian writing. Across the street is the pharmacy with the Russian name. Yeah, Dwayne Reed actually has a Russian name attached That's to it as right. well. It's Dwayne Reed with the Russian name next to it. And you're going to see a lot of uh, Russian writing here. Ron, thank you so much. My pleasure, George. Ron Schweiger is the Brooklyn Borough historian. As Ron mentioned, Brighton Beach might be the closest you can get to Russia without a passport. And if you're wondering how best to get a taste of the culture there, and I mean that literally, look no further. Alex Scheitzman is a recipe developer, food writer, and photographer. She knows a whole lot about the food scene in Brighton Beach and joins us now on the phone. Alex, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. So what should we eat on a trip to Brighton Beach? Well, so you should be prepared that um, Russian food or Ukrainian food is kind of your typical Eastern European fare. So there's a lot of braised and stewed meat, so a lot of pork and beef and some lamb, too. Um, My favorite thing to eat um, is called piroshki, which is basically like a fried, you can think of it as like a savory donut, maybe. (laughs) So it's a yeasted dough. It's thick and it's deep fried. And inside you'll find, um, you know, like mashed potatoes, maybe, or stewed cabbage. Or uh, one of my favorites is mashed green peas. And uh, you can find those. There's a lady that sells <laughs> that sells them on the street out of like these plastic bins. It's not. It doesn't sound very legit, but, but it sounds authentic. Like no question about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as soon as you step down from the Q train at Brighton Beach, I think it's Brighton Fifth Street, and she's just standing there outside, and there's a table with these plastic bins, and you'll find all these different piroshki. And they're usually um, a dollar or two, I think. And uh, you'll definitely find her because there's usually a big line of people waiting to get one. Um, and they can also be sweet as well, if that's your jam. So you can have them with sour cherries or sweet cheese um, or sometimes even like apples and cinnamon. But I really recommend the potato, the stewed cabbage, or sometimes even mushroom, too. Now, you were born in Ukraine, right? Raised in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's right. I came here when I was nine and um, with my family. And we actually lived on like the same block in Brooklyn for, I don't know, my parents are still there. So So it's been 17 years since we were here. Um, And yeah, right now I'm living in Brooklyn. So are you in Brighton? Did you grow up in Brighton? No, I didn't. Uh, We grew up in an area called Marine Park, uh, which is um, kind of by Midwood. I think people know Midwood most, but it's very close to Brighton Beach. Um, It's a couple of stops on the train. So what other types of food should we be looking for? So another thing I love, and there's kind of a theme, (laughs) it's basically, um, you know, different doughy foods stuffed with potatoes and cabbage. So um, the other thing I love is called varenyaki, which is a Ukrainian dish. And you can think of it as like an Eastern European ravioli, basically. And it's made with a dough that is not leavened, so there's no yeast typically. And it's a thin dough. It's rolled out. And you make these little raviolis that are also stuffed with potatoes, cabbage, sometimes mushrooms. um, And those can also be sweet. 
And then they are served with tons of sour cream and fried onions. So it's really, really good. And then there's also a meat version that's called pilmeni. So these are basically meat ravioli stuffed with uh, veal or beef or pork. And they are served with sometimes sour cream. And then sometimes I've also seen it with um, like a splash of white vinegar. Um, So those are really great as well. And then, you know, Russian cuisine and um, Ukrainian cuisine is, of course, influenced by countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union. So um, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, places like that. And their cuisines are a little bit spicier, a little bit, you know, they have a little bit more oomph. So um, I think American palates may enjoy those as well. And you can expect to eat grilled meats, which is like shish kebabs. We call them shishlik. And then you can eat like grilled lamb or beef or chicken, and those are usually served uh, with a big pile of red onions and sumac on top. And sumac is just um, this beautiful pink spice that you may have seen. So what about specific eateries? You mentioned this lady on the street, but where else do you recommend going? Yep. So the lady on the street is definitely a stop you should make. Um, so there's a place. So if you're going to look for the more of like that um, uh, Uzbeki or Azerbaijani food, there's a really great place called Nargis, which is, I believe it's on Coney Island Avenue. And it's um, it's not exactly on the Brighton Beach Strip, but you can definitely walk there from the same train station. Um, and it's a traditional um, Uzbek restaurant, and they have um, a ton of grilled meats, and they have something called tlof, which is uh, basically the word for pilaf. So it's a lamb pilaf with this gorgeous fried rice that's like coated in lamb fat, and it's served with a ton of dill and chopped scallions on top. So it's super traditional, really good. Um, and there's a couple of places for more traditional Russian food. So I love Ocean View Cafe, which is on Brighton Beach, as well as um, a place called Glechik. And those have like more of the standard Russian foods like borscht and vareniki and pilmeni, some of those things I talked about earlier. So uh, definitely no shortage of options there. And then if you also want to pick up some things to take home with you, um, There's a really great Russian supermarket there um, on the Brighton Beach Strip, and it's called um, Brighton Bazaar. And you can get a ton of traditional things there, like all the amazing rye breads or a lot of pickled things. Russian people love pickling and canning, so you'll find... um, You'll find pickled tomatoes, cucumbers, mushrooms, and even quick pickled watermelon. All right. Alex, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Alex Scheitzman is a recipe developer, food writer, and photographer. Check out her blog, thenewbaguette.com. As we heard today, Brighton Beach has a long and storied history. Pat Singer is a big part of that history. She's the founder of the Brighton Neighborhood Association. Which was founded in 1977. You are a piece of Brighton Beach history, Pat, aren't you? It's in my DNA. <laughs> it goes back to my roots, which uh, my Russian grandparents who came here from Odessa... And they settled here about 1910, I'm assuming. Mom was uh, born like 1915, and she was raised in Brighton Beach, worked in the bottom of candy factory, she told us. And um, she fell in love with a guy who was staying at a boarding house named Captain John Patrick Murphy. And she eloped with him, and my grandfather sat shiva. <laughs> but six kids later, I came back. <laughs> And I'm here. And they call me the Mama of Brighton Beach. Yeah, you're called the Mama of Brighton Beach. What <laughs> earned you that title? I think because uh, when they first, we started the organization in 77, officially, out of some protest rallies. And 
they were coming in and they're on the same time. And who was there to greet them? Us, me and A, myself. And we tried to help them to expedite the assimilation. And look, they were in a shock. They came from a, a, a communist society into this capitalistic society. And it was difficult for them. And we were here to walk them through it, you know, and try to help them navigate. Brighton Beach was a very different place in 1977. So take us back there and take us. Let me go further with you. I remember as a kid coming here at 10 years old. I'll tell you what I loved about it. When I was growing up, I grew up in Queens Village. And because of my parents being a Jewish and Irish Catholic, we weren't really too loved over there, especially with the name Murphy. <laughs> and uh, my, I used to come here and spend time with my grandmother on Brighton 12th Street. And here I was Grandma Frieda's grandchild. I had identity. The senior citizens would sit outside the buildings and yenter and talk, and, and they knew me. You know, if I did something wrong, they'd get on the phone with my grandmother right away. But I felt I belonged here, the smell. The smell of the salt water, which you can't smell today, but the smell of the salt water, the bagels, the two cents plain ice cream soda there. It was all part of this charming neighborhood called Brighton Beach. So when did you move here as an adult? I got married. Well, my mother said, you better marry a Jew. And I said, Mom, we're living in a Christian neighborhood. But the first Jewish guy I met, it happens I fell in love with. He was the best man at my sister's wedding. And we hit it off. And I said, we're going to move to Brighton. Because he was kosher for one day. <laughs> I think I didn't kosher. I did a little boo-boo there. But what, what, what do you expect from a little shiksa like me? <laughs> but um, we moved here in 64 because of the Jewish stores and the, and the kosher meats and everything. And we made a life here. But he died in the 70s, about 78. And I just started fighting back with B&A. And that's a story in itself, because I was sitting, minding my own business, watching Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and it was like the third or tenth mugging going off outside my window. Crime was up. Drugs were very bad. Um, it was not a very nice place to live. So that's what you were fighting back against, the crime, the drugs. And then he, my husband died suddenly. He was very young, and um, I decided, this is, this is it. I'm going for this. They're not going to take my neighborhood away from me. This is my Brighton Beach. So I had a rally over here at Coney Island Avenue and Brighton Beach Avenue. What happened is I put flyers up on Brighton 12th Street. And we went into the 3029 where my grandmother used to live. And they had steps going into the lobby. And I got up on the steps and said, okay. Meet me at the, very, very dramatic. Meet me at the intersection we're going to fight back. But there was only 60 people in the lobby. I said, this is not enough. Go back and bring four more neighbors. So that weekend, we had hundreds out there in that intersection, and I'm on a bullhorn yelling like a maniac. I was like a little Norma Ray there. <laughs> and we circled like the Old West because we had the Barnes Dance Light, and we started to say, we want more police. We want protection. Crime is too high, and houses going down. And... Um, from that point, we started meeting in my house, and I started going out every night, organizing, building by building by building, and getting people to fight back for heat, for hot water, for services, to live like a human being, a mensch. <laughs> and two weeks later, we said, let's have another rally. And we did it at PS 225. And um, I remember thinking to myself, I hope this is going to work. I played over the loudspeaker, Exodus, this land is mine. Very dramatic. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this, we see people streaming in from all three aisles of the auditorium. They say, according to the, the papers, it was like a 1,000 people into the streets. And who walks in but Mayor Beam 
and Chuck Schumer. I think it's a picture out here. He was not a senator at that he time. Was assemblyman. Assemblyman. With hair. <laughs> uh, with hair. Yes. Oh, look at that. He had hair back then in his photo. <laughs> and his hair is truly back then. And we had a little tip at him and I over this because he was talking about prostitution on 42nd Street. And who, I we didn't care about it. We cared about here. Our, our, our grandparents were being mistreated here. We were in danger of muggings. And our streets weren't safe. We wanted protection here. So from that rally, Bright Neighbor Association was officially born. And you got the protection. More police officers started oh, to patrol yeah. these streets. They, they got out of the patrol car and went into the buildings and went up to the roof to clear out drugs. And we're going on. We are, we're trying to look to the future because history has a way of repeating itself. So we look to put the brakes on wherever we see it, you know. And so my concern right now is parking because we're so successful and the area is so congested. You have to circle around to get parking and to go shopping here, and that's not a good thing. So I'm really lobbying to see that they build a, a parking garage over the municipal parking lot, possibly, and make a thousand parking spaces there. But let's build for the future, guys. Let's you know, let's get the infrastructure going here. You know, fixing everything. You know, Pat, you are tireless. It's my life, and the part of my DNA. <laughs> it's a commitment. I don't know, calling whatever. It's. 41 years. I wish I had thought of a pension. I didn't think I'd be doing this this long. I was the original flower child, I guess, back then, thinking, you know, what I'm, I has to be done. But it was back in the 70s, and who knew I'd be still doing this into the 21st century? But I love my work. <laughs> Pat, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Pat Singer is the founder of the Brighton Neighborhood Association. More info at brightonbeach.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Caroline Rotante, and thank you for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.